Hello, everyone, and welcome to Art City, a weekly podcast about art, architecture, and urban design. This is Mary Louise Schumacher. So as you fire up the podcast this week, the 30 Americans exhibition is in its final hours. In fact, it closes at the Milwaukee Art Museum after Sunday. The artists in the show explore the black experience in America today with beauty and at times breathtaking bluntness. It's a tough show, one that takes on dark histories. But I can't help but think that this show has been a salve of sorts for Milwaukee as well, a city that is in so many ways defined by racial and economic divide. Today, I reflect on this show with two amazing women and artists. First, we have Tiana Bowie, who you might know is pretty much everywhere right now. She's got work up at the Haggerty Museum of Art, and will have work in the Knoll Exhibition at Innova and the Wisconsin Triennial in Madison later this month. Then we have Lacey Coppins, whose work is in the Art on Fond du Lac installation, a temporary public art project organized by Insight in the Central City. She's also part of the education team at the Art Museum. Later on, I'm going to talk with artist Forrest Myers, an artist who created a Milwaukee landmark that disappeared for many, many years and who sent famous artists and Andy Warhol's penis to the moon in 1969. Now, here's my conversation with Tiana and Lacey. I wanted to ask both of you about what you have actually witnessed inside the 30 Americans exhibition. Um, what have you what have you witnessed in terms of the way people engage with each other and the art in the gallery during the course of this show? I actually have a really interesting story. <laughs> this was like the first uh, few days the exhibition was open, and it was actually Lorna Simpson's piece. Mm-hmm. I was standing in front of it, and there was um, a mother, a child, and a and a son. And the the daughter had to be about seven. Maybe the son was twelve. The daughter had natural hair. So Lorna Simpson's piece has all these different wigs and different, there's a mustache, mm-hmm. there's a there's a natural hair wig, and there's the very straight hair. And the braids. And, right, the braids. And so the young girl, who was probably about six or seven, points to one piece and goes, no, actually her brother says, your hair looks like that. He points to the, nap, the, nap, the natural hair. Mm-hmm. And she um, goes, well, I wish my hair looked like that. And she points to the wig that's really straight. Mm. And I was like, oh, I have to stop what I'm doing to just t- talk to her right quick. And her mom was very oblivious to the conversation. She sounded very sad, and I wish that my hair looked like that. And I just thought it was interesting that that piece brought out that kind of conversation mm-hmm. to children. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my hair's natural. I just told her, like, be proud of who you are and be proud mm-hmm. of what you have. Because her brother was kind of teasing her, mm-hmm. like so- something's wrong with that type of hair. And I was like, oh, I grew up with these things. I've heard these things. So <laughs> I had to stop what I was doing to have an <laughs> educational moment. Yes. <laughs> and then the mom jumped in and goes, you know, I've been I've been trying to tell her that permed hair isn't necessarily the best hair. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That That's was one that was just really story. interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And how about you? I know you've been taking people through Lacey yes. through the galleries a lot. What have definitely well as a part of my seen? my role at the institution um, in the education department, I've had the pleasure of taking all the way from itty bitties to teachers through the exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say one moment would be when I wasn't actually escorting anyone through, but just happened to be passing through 
enjoying the exhibition for myself as an artist as well and taking it in and coming into Gary Simmons' Duck Duck Noose. Mm -hmm. This is the installation that has the stools with the the white hoods and this noose that's hanging in the center. And there was a young little boy that was there along with his, I would say probably a grandmother. Mm-hmm. And he, they come into the space and he just looked up at her and asked the question, what is this? Mm-hmm. And this dialogue began to take place between the two of them as she starts to recount history mm-hmm. and family experiences and cultural experiences as well. Mm-hmm. And just to watch his face to change and to as she's processing this for him, because this mm-hmm. is definitely a piece that cannot be interpreted unless an adult is yes, doing this absolutely. for you mm-hmm. um, as from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm. And even taking children through it, um, you know, middle school, high school, and asking them, do you know what this is? And there have been instances that not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's ironic that um, he would also make this work because it does help to remind us. Mm-hmm. But then it also oppor- there's also opportunity for conversations like the one that I saw with this young boy and his grandmother, too, to continue to educate as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have to say the, the walls with those post-it notes, you know, the museum decided to have these kind of very discreet little comment areas where people could come in and write down a thought on a post-it note and put it up. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw that, I was really rolling my eyes thinking, oh, you know, this is one of those classic <laughs> little feedback little things. Feedback. <laughs> Some marketing person dreamed up this is going to be terrible. And and I could not have been more wrong. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about um, how quick people can do, how easy it is to do that and how anonymous it can yes, be. Yes. But people have been very um, frank in their reactions. And the work is so strong that it provokes reaction. And so the combination of those things... Um, really yield very real things, including racism. Like I, I saw some pretty oh, ugly yeah. things There's on those walls too, mm-hmm. and some really beautiful sentiments. I felt like Milwaukee was on that wall. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, people have yeah. to talk about this work. Yeah, sure. and yeah. and put it in their own context somehow. Mm-hmm. Especially the mm-hmm. Kehinde Wiley piece. The first um, thing oh, that yeah. people said was Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. and it was the piece with the triptych. And there's a um, African American male with the that has um, a hoodie on. Hoodie. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, this piece was actually made in 2007. Yeah, mm-hmm. triple the, portrait of Charles I. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, they're thinking that the artist made this today exactly. as a response to the Trayvon Martin situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that just speaks to how much it is in response to popular culture. Right. Um, how much the dialogue that these artists are generating is still prevalent to today. So even if the work was made in, you know, 90s or exactly exactly very contemporary (laughs) exactly and i also appreciate the fact that there are multiple talk back points Mm -hmm. so there's actually three in the exhibition Mm -hmm. that give people a time to share their thoughts to share their reflection one piece as well are the bales of cotton by leonardo drew Mm -hmm. and it's been interesting to see the comments that have been posted there and one that just made me chuckle when someone wrote, I'm going to start wearing rayon now or mm-hmm. polyester. This, that's what it was. I'm going to wear polyester from here on out after seeing these stacked bales of cotton. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, you know, it's humorous. But then um, at the same time, you know, you definitely saw the converse to some yeah. of the comments, too. And to describe this work for, for people who maybe haven't seen it yet, it's it's kind of um, and Anwar Floyd. Pruitt, one of the artists in Wisconsin 30, described it really beautifully as a memorial, that mm-hmm. it's it's almost, it has the presence of a war memorial or something, which mm-hmm. I think is just really a beautiful sentiment, but it's kind of a wall of 
bales of cotton mm-hmm. stacked mm-hmm. on stacked. top of each other. And it just has this very monumental feel. Mm-hmm. It actually relates really beautifully, I think, back to the minimalism in the permanent collection. Exactly. At the Milwaukee Art Museum. Um, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with my colleague yesterday, Amy Kirschke, about that piece. Yeah. And we were wondering, like, what would it look like if it were placed in the minimalist gallery? If, yeah. it, were, if it were placed next to, uh, you know, a Donald yeah. Judd or right. Tara Donovan's Bluffs, which are stacked buttons, mm-hmm. would it have that same kind of overwhelming presence? Would people still have this desire? Would it retain this odor that mm-hmm. seems to be on it as mm-hmm. well because it's wax cotton? Mm-hmm. And is it safe to say that, you know, I mean, I've been going to this museum for 13 years now. And when I walk into the museum to go see this show, it's a very different group of people in the museum, everywhere. Not just in this show, but in the permanent collection galleries as well. When you go to the 30 American show, you really, I am seeing diversity that I have not seen since Keys Bend, perhaps. I would definitely agree with that. And I think some of the efforts that were taken, such as the use of a community task force Mm -hmm. that represented not only community members, but it also invited voices of artists Mm -hmm. and educators, as well as museum staff, to really go out um, into the the community. Uh, Also, our African-American Art Alliance, Quade, Mm -hmm. and to determine what are the ideal ways that we can diversify the audience. Um, Again, not trying to change audiences, but really expand our audience. There was one, you know, uh, you mentioned the community task force that worked with the museum, and there was one really major thing that came out of that, which was the Wisconsin 30 exhibition. And I have to confess, I have mixed feelings about that show, because I think those issues that we were talking about, about, you know, group exhibitions having weaknesses, that you don't always get every Mm -hmm. artist in depth. You don't always get a real introduction to their ideas in that kind of a context. And it really does stand in contrast to the 30 Americans, where you do see a lot of Nick Cave. You do see a lot of Micheline Thomas. I mean, you you get enough of those artists, and and the exchange between the artworks in that show brings a lot of that out. I don't feel like that happened very well in the Wisconsin 30 show. I feel like... You know, it was, and I, I guess this is this raises this question of what happens next. I mean, what you get really is a list of artists the the museum thinks are worthy. Um, it wasn't a curated show. It was a show that um, it actually was a curated show. Well, was it really? It, it actually was a curated show. Yes, artists had to submit proposals to be a part yeah. of it. Um, it was curated by uh, Lynn Shumo as well as Brady Roberts, who's our chief uh, curator at the Milwaukee Art Museum. I, you know, I would beg to differ a little. I mean, I when I think of a curated show, I think of curators making studio visits, getting to know artists personally. I think of the museum making that institutional investment Mm -hmm. in getting to know what those artists are doing. Um, And I think in this case, it felt more like a call Mm -hmm. for a regional art show, which is, you know, a different model of curating maybe. But the question is, what happens now? You know, Mm -hmm. will that institutional investment be made, do you think? What, What will... What would be the next great step from Wisconsin 30 for regional artists at the Milwaukee Art Museum? That's like a really like good loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at good loaded questions. Um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes um, when I first when it came when it happened in the like idea room. Yeah. (laughs) um, At first, it it started out just seeing could artists in the community who maybe work in this type of genre or be a part of the show, and then it kind of transformed to 
well, if it's 30 African-Americans, shouldn't it be 30 African-American artists in Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. Um, And there there are mixed feelings. I think even I talk to people in the exhibition as well, and it's like, well, it's kind of interesting because there are people in the exhibition that they haven't had a career as artists. They maybe done some work, but they work mostly in the community. And but I'm an artist, I'm a studio artist who's been doing this for this many years, so I wonder how the, how does our work fit together? Mm-hmm. So that kind of became a conversation. But everybody wants to be a part of the museum because it's a really great experience and mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity, but I think there's some reservations there that, okay. And, you know, you know, on the upside, we should say this is the first time that a museum who's taken the 30 American show has ever even attempted to do anything absolutely, like this. Absolutely, That it happened very organically and spontaneously and that the museum took a risk to do something like this, which I think is really commendable. And I think risk. about artists like Chris McIntyre, who's just like his life got made by this show. <laughs> like he's there all the time. Mm-hmm. He just feels like he's connected to these artists in a way mm-hmm, that has mm-hmm. really changed his practice as an artist. It's a turning point for mm-hmm. that one artist for sure. And I, and I know that, you know, Tiana, you've said you've met Evelyn Patricia Terry, who you've heard about for years. Yeah, and you've, yeah. you've seen other artists who um, have been working in Milwaukee for a really long time, yeah. and that's been useful to you. So there's a lot of good that came out of it for sure, too. I would say so as well. And and I would also say that there's some um, comparatives to 30 Americans because there were artists in 30 Americans who had studied some of the other artists that are represented or had, had admired some of the other artists mm-hmm. that were represented but never had the opportunity to meet them. Mm-hmm. And the right. same thing happen with the Wisconsin 30 as well. Mm -hmm. I think some next steps are continuing to build relationships, such as with the tag talks and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you explain what that is? So my understanding is the tag talks are, it's a group of artists who are part of the 30 Americans, um, Sherman Pitts and Christopher McIntyre, who are creating a community, in essence, of coming together, bringing in other uh, more seasoned artists from the from the arts community. So for example, um, Della Wells mm-hmm. did a talk on them, for them, um, Everything Your Mama Didn't Teach You About Art. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then just recently here, um, William Rudolph, who's actually the curator for 30 Americans went and also conducted a tag talk for the group mm-hmm. as well being able to answer those questions about uh, creating an art career arts-based community that sort of thing mm-hmm. and so in essence there have been these relationships that have emerged because these yeah. artists may have not met each other otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely several artists um, that I had the pleasure of meeting that, you know, I had only seen their name on paper before. I'd mm-hmm. only seen their work or it'd been quite a while since I'd seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really awesome. And then you also have artists like Christopher, who's the youngest out of the Wisconsin yeah. 30. And so, you know, this definitely is a catalyst for him, like yeah. you've mentioned. He describes himself as the youngest and the hungriest, which I think is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of stories like this. Mm-hmm. So there are a handful of organizations that have surfaced because mm-hmm. of yeah. these shows. There, there's been at least one exhibition. I'm sure there will be more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have all met artists. There are collectors who've met artists in both the Thirty American Show and the Wisconsin 30, the rebels were introduced to artists right here in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. You know, Hank Willis Thomas, one of the um, uh, 30 Americans artists, raised a really good question. What he said to me when I asked him about this was, 
What needs to happen next is one of these artists from the Wisconsin 30 needs to be exposed to the national audience now. Like the, the museum has a, if there are artists who are working at a level that that's warranted, then the Milwaukee Art Museum has, you know, kind of a responsibility to start moving them out onto that platform through their programming, which I thought was kind of a, an encouraging idea. I, that is encouraging. And I, I can agree to that, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you think about the experience of looking at the work in the 30 American show, what are the works that you go back to that have spoken to you <laughs> most profoundly that maybe even have changed who you are as an artist, if that's if that is even possible. For me, um, of course, there are my favorites, and there's my, there are my there are the ones that I studied the most, or maybe mm-hmm. we talked about the most when I was in graduate school, mm-hmm. like Carl Walker and Basquiat, of course. But the ones that I just feel like I haven't had that much time with them and haven't researched them enough, and that I'm going to like I'm obsessed with them now is Jeff Sonhaus. Mm. And the reason why his use of material just it's, blows me over the oh edge. I'm goodness. just like, and I want to go to describe them a little bit. Well, wow. so Jeff Sonhaus, his work is an appropriation of older paintings, right? He does some. He does make a reference to some, yeah, reference. like Bacon, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what he, he uses matchbooks, like mm-hmm. matchbooks, <laughs> like you tear off the matches and that's in his work. And you don't know it's there until you walk, get closer. Mm-hmm. And then he uses um, charcoal. For for barbecue, <laughs> it's like what? Who puts that in their work? Mm. He did, <laughs> yeah. and it's beautiful. And then there's glitter. Mm. There's all the stuff that you wouldn't think to use if you were in art school. Mm-hmm. You would go, to, you would get the nice stuff. This is stuff that he just used from his kitchen, <laughs> yeah. and that's why I like it because yeah. it's like, and I mean, and they're beautiful and surprising. Very and those surprising. Materials change a lot mm-hmm. in the work, right? Right, right. So for so he's my new person that I'm like obsessed mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And then Glenn Ligon, I always say his mm. name. Did I pronounce Ligon. his last name? Ligon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love him too. I his, once again, use of material. There's yeah. something about materiality that speaks to me. Instead of like, let's write words on a canvas. Well, let me do it where you're not going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to really spend time with my work. Yes. And it's going to say something to you that maybe it won't say to somebody else. And some people will never see it as words. I had my students go, the all black painting. I'm like, it was nothing when there was all black. Mm-hmm. It was it was words. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. So that then they have to go back and see it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 How about you? Oh, my goodness. Well, first off, like Tiana, I just was in love with the show because several of the artists I had studied in school. Mm-hmm. So for me, I have three photographers that are my top three. Mm-hmm. And Lorna Simpson is at the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to see her wig series, which oh, I had God, only studied in books, mm-hmm. I literally had tears in my eyes the first time I saw it hanging on the wall. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely have had some quality time with that piece. Like Tiana Ligon is also another one that mm-hmm. I just want to wrap myself in his cold dust. Yeah. I just love his piece. <laughs> Um, Of course, I haven't touched anything. Right, right. But I think for me, an artist who I had not heard of before, but have definitely become enthralled with is Wangechi Mutu. And partly because of the use of materiality, her use of collage, Mm -hmm. um, but also her message behind her work. Mm -hmm. And with wanting the viewer to pause and to stop and to realize this globalization and attack on the female form and the attack on women. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't consider myself a feminist artist, Mm -hmm. but I took a group of um, young ladies through the exhibition from Marquette. Mm -hmm. And as I started to describe uh, Miss Mutu's process, describe the piece um, in which the, the female figure, which you can't 
automatically distinguish that it's a female figure on mylar Mm -hmm. uh, at first. You really have to spend time with it. And you see that parts of her appendages have been blown off and there's glitter that's been added. And then you also see that um, her midsection has been cut open and from it there are pearls that are dripping down because, you know, we as women are that life source. Mm -hmm. And she immediately said, yes, that is me. Yes, yes, yes. I identify with her work. I am a feminist. And um, mm. so I really would love to spend more time with Miss Mutu's work to study her more in depth. I know she's also starting to work some in film, too. Mm-hmm. And she just makes me, I, I, I often refer to it as brain scrubbing. Mm-hmm. And she just <laughs> makes me to stop and pause. And so to go from Walker's piece over to Mutu's piece, I, I'm just like exhausted at that point because right. my brain is just being massaged, literally. Yeah. 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 So beautifully put. Well, that yeah. is, I think, a great place to leave it there. So thanks both Tiana and Lacey for coming yeah, in today you. to talk about this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So now we turn to my chat with artist Forrest Myers, who had drawings by famous artists such as Robert Rauschenberg and Andy Warhol printed on a ceramic computer chip and covertly sent to the moon, where it supposedly still sits today inside the leg of a lunar landing module. Forrest was in town for the unveiling of Quartet, a monumental cube-like sculpture that sat on Milwaukee's lakefront for many years. That work is now installed at the Linden Sculpture Garden, where there is an accompanying show. Another corresponding show, including one of the limited edition Moon Museums, is on view at the Green Gallery East. Here is my conversation with Forrest. A lot of people call you Frosty, and I just want to know, is it okay for me to, to call you Frosty? Oh, sure. Yeah. Frosty's a nickname. I was ne- named after my uncle Forrest, which is sort of an early American name. There was a General Forrest in the Civil War. Anyway, his name was Frosty, and once you're Frosty, you can't get away from that. Um, and I hated it when I was a kid, because kids used to say little jokes about it. You know, Frosty Freeze, and in any case, yeah, I'm Frosty. So let me just ask you where the idea for the Moon Museum originally, originally came to you. Like, what was the original impetus? When Kennedy made his speech about that we were going to the moon, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Russians had already done Sputnik. I remember where I was. I was on a bus when I looked out the window and saw a headline that said, uh, Russians are in space. And then when Kennedy, it was a few years later, said that we were going to the moon, it was a big deal. Um, we didn't even know at that time the technology it would take to do this, but what the artists were feeling was the possibility of evolution being made visible. You see, evolution is, is so slow, you, can't, you can never see it happening, only by the fossil record. But here we are getting off the planet. It was tantamount to like a salamander coming up out of the soup, getting onto dry land, literally. We thought that this was going to be something we're not only going to get off this planet, but once we do that, we can go to other planets. But what we didn't know at the time was that all of the technology it took to go to the moon would totally revolutionize the way we lived and thought and acted. And the artists... Um, yeah, so let me, let me ask you, how did you 
choose the artists that would go to the moon, right? I mean, I remember the whole process of deciding which men would be launched into space was a really big deal. How did you come up with the men? And I noticed, by the way, that they are men well, that would that would go to the moon. Well, these people were basically my friends, yeah. and they were terrific artists, and it was easy. You just, you know, pick six artists you, uh, that you think are terrific and ask them. Everybody wanted to go to the moon. Yeah. I mean, I got these drawings right back. Can you tell me a little bit about asking, you know, Andy Warhol if he wanted to go to the moon? Like, I knew Andy Warhol. Yeah. I, uh, I used to hang out with these guys. Yeah. So uh, asking Andy Warhol was no big deal. But you'll notice on the, uh, the chip, if you look at his signature, it looks like a penis. <laughs> the A looks like the head of a penis, and the W are the testicles. Yeah. Well, in 1969... Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't say that. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times, when they published a photo of this, they had the person holding the chip put his thumb over the Andy Warhol signature because they couldn't, you know, it was too risque. But, uh, I mean, times change. And, and, um, yeah. and, and for people who don't maybe know how it was made and how you got these artists, so they submitted drawings and they were, um, these images were imprinted on this ceramic wafer. Can you explain where that was made, how that was made as well? Yeah. Rauschenberg, he had a friend named Billy Kluver, who was a laser physicist that worked at Bell Labs. And they got the idea to get a group of scientists together, and engineers, and a group of artists together. The artists could help get their projects realized, and hopefully this would cross-pollinate. The, en the engineers could loosen up hanging out with the artists and maybe think in a different way. That was the idea, and, and, and it certainly worked for the artists. Whether it worked for the engineers, we don't know or not. They took these drawings, these guys from Bell Labs, and how did they make, can you tell me a little bit about what the wafer is exactly and how yeah. they made it? Once I had the idea for, for this project, I wanted to shrink these drawings down so that they were small enough that I could get it, mm -hmm. you know, get it approved to go on the lunar lander. So one of the engineers, he was working with another group of engineers that were developing computer chips. This is before the, the personal computer, but the computers were big. So this chip, if you look at it, it's three quarters of an inch long, mm -hmm. half an inch wide, and three thirty seconds thick. And it's got six drawings on it, and those drawings can be seen very clearly. So what this is is a computer circuit plated in an element called tantalum. It was, in fact, done with the technology, state-of-the-art at the day. Uh, so will it last? Like, is it a really... It lasts a long time, and of course the atmosphere in the moon doesn't you know, necessarily have water in it. it it'll, it'll, it'll be there for... Uh, I don't know, a million years. Uh, but it's also conceptual. When you think of the Moon Museum, your mind goes to the moon and then comes back to the object you're looking at. And that does that uh, faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous. Uh, it draws a nice line. So it's like a big drawing. It's a, well, that's, another, that's a whole other drawing, yes. It's the experience you have with the Moon Museum. Um, you know, the mundane experience, the everyday experience with the Moon Museum is, is sort of, used to be ooh and ah, it's like, oh, how'd you do this, and oh, the moon is so far away and everything, but the moon used to be far away, yeah. 
It was unobtainable. The moon used to be so far away. And of course, the moment they landed on the moon, the moon now, when you look at it, it's, it's right there. It's in your face. My son, he says, oh, God, going to the moon, that's easy. All you need is a million dollars. You know, it's a whole different uh, uh, way to look at things. But that's what te technology does, you know. It's like... And can I ask you, I mean, I started to ask you this question the other night. Um, you know, if you put a work of art or a museum in a place where it will probably outlast the human race potentially, mm -hmm. you know, is that an optimistic gesture? Is that a hopeful gesture? Or is that the gesture of a cynical man at all? Uh, I wasn't thinking like that. That's a f philosophical question. God, it was a gesture of a broke, completely messed up man that... that uh, was behind in his rent, and uh, a typical artist, you know, is is um, hopeful. Yeah, it was hopeful. You know, it was. It, I was very excited about this idea, and so were the other artists. The truth is, you know, after I did this, I barely thought of this sculpture uh, for forty years. There was very little interest in it. Um, Do you think about it more now than you did then? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I don't know why it's coming to light now. And I think it may have something to do with most of the artists on this chip, of, of half of them have passed away. Um, I don't know why things are cyclical and they come back around. But the Moon, moon Museum is there, and, and it's, uh, it's exposed, and people are thinking about it uh, from time to time. And it's at the uh, Green Gallery East right now in a, in a show that I'm having um, with some elements from a, a wall that I did on Houston and Broadway in Soho in Manhattan. And that's also an interesting piece. It makes for a lovely show. It's basically those elements and the Moon Museum. It's a very minimal, very tight, beautiful little show. Uh, um, I, I do have to ask, do you regret not sending a female artist to the moon with the Moon Museum? Oh, you can't it, ask that question. Why not? Because it's so out of date. No, it's not. No, it is, too. The times have changed. You can't ask a, a 1970s question in 2013. It's just, it, it wouldn't make sense. Do I regret? I, I don't have any re regrets. It's just it was a different time, yeah. you know? If, if I were going to do this today, uh, if I were going to do it today, the women would outnumber the men, possibly. Yeah. You know, it's like we didn't have women artists. We had about, I knew three women artists. Why didn't I ask one? I don't know, because basically these guys were all my friends, and it just made sense, and they were famous, and um, the women I knew weren't for whatever reason. Now I know a bunch of famous art, women artists. Um, times of, this is a different time. It's like a question doesn't make sense to me at this time. This has been Art City, a weekly podcast. This is Mary Louise Schumacher. I'm the art and architecture critic at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Art City is produced by Adam Carr, who graciously edited this week's podcast while on vacation in San Francisco. You can follow me on Twitter at Art City. You can follow Adam at A. Francis Carr. To read my review of the 30 Americans exhibition and my column this week about the impact that show had on Milwaukee, go to Art City. That's jsonline.com slash artcity. Thank you for listening. See you next week.